Tonight's reading is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 13, reading until chapter 4, verse 6. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers do not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Amen. Thank you very much, Candice, and thank you to those of you who've led us so far in this service. We're in uh, the book of Malachi, finishing our series in this book tonight. Uh, It's going to really help you to have the Bible open in front of you. It's page 802 and 803. And if you'd like to, there's um, on the back of the service sheet, there's just a sermon outline so you can see where we're going. You can make some notes uh, if you'd like. Um, Let's pray as we come to uh, this part of God's Word. Let's pray. Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that this is the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Lord, we thank you for this word, this message that you have given to your people by your prophet. And thank you for all that we've learned over this last, uh, over the summer holidays um, from this great book. And we pray, Lord, tonight as we come to the end, you would bring back to mind all that we have learned. Uh, but also, Lord, that you would speak to us from what these words say as we've had read to them just now, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change us by your spirit, that you would cause us to love you, to love your son, the Lord Jesus, and that you would make us like him. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, what's the point? What's the point in serving God? That's what the people of Malachi's day were saying. Uh, You can see it there in verse 14. You have said, says the Lord, it is vain to serve God. What's the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? I mean, we're doing all this religious activity and we're going through all the formalities and, well, we don't seem to be getting much out of it, do we? What's the point? What's the point in all this? And we look across the road to our neighbours, those in Israel who have arrogantly turned away from God, who aren't keeping his word at all, and, well, they're doing better than us. Their lives seem free of care and concern. They look happier. They're materially better off because they don't have to give their tithe to God. Verse 15, we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They ignore your commands and you don't do anything about it, God. So tell us what's the point? What's the point in us serving you? We'd be better off going our own way. As we come to the end of this little book of Malachi, the faithless complaint that we see in these verses, it really sums up the attitude of most of Israel in Malachi's day. And it's really unfair, and it's really ungrateful. God says, your words have been hard against me. See, this book began with God reminding his people of his great love for them. Very first words God spoke to them, chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. He's chosen them, he's rescued them from Egypt, he's given them the promised land, he's defeated their enemies, he's made them prosperous, and he's been faithful to them despite their consistent rebellion against him. At this point in their history, he's just brought them back from exile and given them back the land that they had lost because of their faithlessness. They don't deserve any of that, but he has loved them. Despite their sinfulness, he has forgiven them again and again and again. And it's not like they're serving him well at all. We've seen this in Malachi repeatedly. They offer blind sacrifices to God, chapter 1. They disdain God's plan for marriage and divorce one another over nothing, chapter 2. They don't teach his word faithfully, chapter 2 as well. And they're only giving God part of the tithe, chapter 3. They're robbing God. Their service of God is half-hearted at best. And so this complaint is really out of order. It's these people who are looking over the fence at their wicked neighbours doing well for themselves, it's these people who conclude, well, it's vain then to serve God. What's the point? We'd be better off going our own way too. And God hears, and he says, you are against me. Your words have been hard against me. You know, this is classic religion. Classic religion. A religious person serves God not because they love God, but for what they think God will give them. They go to church every week, they read their Bible, they 
go to the prayer meeting, they live a moral life, they give some of their money to God, they do all that, and they expect that in return, God will give them what they want in life. It's a kind of transaction. And you see this all over, you see it in mosques, and in synagogues, and in temples, and in churches. I've provided this service to you, O God. Now you owe me. You owe it to me to give me what I want in life. It's a classic religious attitude. And so when I don't get what I want, when the marriage doesn't happen, or the children aren't what I hoped they would be, or the job doesn't materialize, my bank account doesn't look too healthy, or when my own health fails... And then I look over there and I see my neighbor who has rejected Christ but is doing much better than me. Well, I throw my hands up in the air and I say, what's the point? I come to resent God, I'm angry at him, and I turn against him. I say, it is vain to serve God. Now, many people today have that kind of transactional religious attitude that we see here in Malachi's day. Do you? Can you see that attitude creeping into your hearts, into your life when things don't go your way? This is a warning. God hears that faithless complaint. And he recognizes it as coming from someone Religious though they may be, but from someone whose heart has turned against him. That's a dangerous thing. But there's another group of people in Israel. There's other voices that God hears, and it's the voices of those who serve him, not for what they think he will give them, who serve him simply because they love him, because they fear his name and honour him as he deserves. Let's turn now to the second section, verse 16, 3 verse 16 to 4 verse 3. Let me read verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Back in these days, the Persian kings, they would record the great deeds of their people in books. And if you remember back to our series in Esther, you've heard this before. Uh, Xerxes did this for Mordecai when he saved his life. He wrote his name in a book and then Xerxes forgot. But then later the book was read and he remembered uh, what what Mordecai did. Has done. They keep records so that they can later reward their servants who have been faithful to them. And here's the astonishing news that the Lord God does the same. He hears the statements of faith that his servants make to each other and he keeps a record. He writes their names down in his book of remembrance, as it were so that it won't be forgotten that they were faithful to him when so many others were turning away. Isn't that a wonderful thing? In a situation of mass apostasy by the people of God, 
and abandonment of God and his word, God remembers those who feared him and esteemed his name. He will not forget. He makes sure of that by writing their names in his book. Now, this is not so different to our situation in Scotland today. Let's be encouraged that the Lord keeps notes on those who are faithful to him. And then the Lord reiterates to them the promise that he made them when he made the covenant at Sinai. That's in verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. You see, it's not vain to serve the Lord. Not at all. Look how he speaks of his faithful people. They shall be mine. They are my treasure. I will spare them because they are my children, says the Lord. Now here we have the introduction of the idea of the day. You notice that in verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. Now what day uh, is this? It sounds like it would be quite important for us to know. Uh, well, this is the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, the day when Jesus Christ returns to judge the earth. Then on that day, all will be revealed, verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. See, in essence, the Lord is telling those who are saying, look, it's vain to serve God. He's saying, look, you've called it too soon. You've looked at the prospering of evildoers, and you thought, well, they seem to be winning life. You look at their prosperity, and you think, well, look, they're 3-0 up and cruising to an easy victory. But the truth is that it's not even half time yet. And the final whistle will reveal an altogether different result, a complete reversal, in fact. There will be, on that final day, a clear result, says the Lord. And believe me, you want to be on the team that serves Jesus when that day comes. 4 verse 1 to 3 unpack for us the dramatic details of the day that is coming. Verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Some of the most terrifying verses in all of the Bible. The day of the Lord will be a day of white-hot judgment. All the arrogant and evildoers, all those people who you, look, who you are looking at, who seem to be winning life now, who seem to get away with rejecting Jesus, on that day, they will be set ablaze. Root and branch will be utterly consumed. No chance of regrowth. All they have and all they are will turn to ash. It's terrifying. You've judged too soon, says the Lord. Just wait. The final result 
He's not yet in. The wicked do not escape putting the Lord to the test. They do not prosper in the end. The great and awesome day of the Lord will reveal terrible judgment for them. And wait too, just wait, and you will see the end result for those who fear the name of the Lord. This is verse 2 and verse 3. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. For those who fear the Lord, for those who have stayed faithful, the day of the Lord will bring about the dawning of righteousness on the earth. The sun of righteousness shall rise. Everything wrong will be put right. All injustice will be undone. And the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. All that is broken will be fixed. All the pain and suffering and heartache and hardship will fade away. It says in Revelation, on that day, Jesus will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There's a wonderful image, isn't there, in verse 2. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. You'll be released to leap for joy, like a little cow after a long winter in the, in the barn. It's finally allowed out into the fields, and it dances off into the sunshine. That's what you'll be like. And the great reversal will be complete. The ashes of those who once opposed the Lord and his people will be trodden underfoot. See the point? Don't judge based on what your eyes see now as you look around the world. Walk by faith and not by sight. See, those who reject Jesus, they may seem to be winning life now. And those who love Jesus, well, they may seem like life's losers. Don't judge too soon. Wait for the final result. It will all become clear on the final day of the Lord. And know this, God remembers those who fear him. Those who serve him in faith will be vindicated on the day. Now the book is about to close with some final instructions for the faithful And we'll come to that in a minute, but I just want to touch on one thing that we might miss as uh, we go through before we get to that. And so just look with me again, would you, at verse 16. Verse verse 16 uh, begins like this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And we're not told what they said exactly, but we're told that they spoke with one another. See, the Lord didn't hear and pay attention to the internal thoughts of a believer or their prayers even, although he certainly does do that. No, he listened to their conversations, their conversations with each other. We mustn't miss that. See, when the people of God were abandoning God's words, 
and when those in ministry were leading them astray, the faithful got together to speak to one another. They needed to remind one another of God's goodness, of his love for them. They needed to remind one another that they should rightly fear the Lord, give him the praise and the honour that he's due. They needed to remind each other that he really is worth serving. And it really is worth holding true to his word, despite how it might look. And we need this too, don't we? How are we going to resist the temptation to give up serving God? When we start to feel like, you know, what's the point? When we question whether it's worth it, especially when we look around over there and when we see those who reject Christ who seem to be prospering, we need each other. We need to talk to one another, to encourage one another, to keep trusting God. To speak to a brother who is struggling with temptation and tell him, keep being faithful to Jesus. It will be worth it in the end. Say to a sister who suffered some kind of setback or disappointment in her life, Dear sister, keep looking to Jesus. One day he will wipe away every tear. There's someone in the church family who's been rejected by others for their witness to Christ. Say to them, the Lord sees everything. Your name is written in the book of remembrance before the Lord. He won't forget you. In a context where the national church has abandoned the word of God and turned away from him, we need to be around those who fear the Lord and need to remind each other to speak to one another of these things. The Lord listens as we talk. Our great friend, the writer of Hebrews, uh, he puts it like this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Remember how that verse ends? Encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to speak to one another. Now on to the final verses. Uh, This is chapter 4. Verse 4 to 6, just the top of the right-hand page. Now, these, are, these last three verses, they're the summary conclusion of the book. Uh, but more than that, they're actually the, they're the bridge between the Old and New Testaments. Uh, these are the last authoritative words that God will speak for about 400 years. 400 years of silence between these words and uh, the dawning of the New Testament. So what are this faithful remnant? What are these, this faithful remnant of the people of God... What do they need to know as they wait for God to act on their behalf? They're living in the midst of a people who are are turning their backs on the Lord. How can they stay faithful? Well, it's two things. Remember my law and expect my prophets. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Don't go the same way as all the rest. Keep God's law. To remember is to keep, is to do. So keep the sacrifices, Malachi chapter 1. 
Make sure they're fit for the worship of the king of all the earth. Keep teaching God's word faithfully, chapter 2. Don't change it like the priests have been doing. Keep doing God's law in regard to marriage and reject divorce, chapter 2. Keep the tithe, the full tithe. Don't rob God, chapter 3. All the things God's law instructed, but what most, the majority, are turning from, they are not to waver in them. Keep doing them. They must maintain their wholehearted devotion to the Lord, to honour him as he deserves. That's the first thing. Remember, my law, says the Lord. Second is this, expect my prophets. It's verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now what's this about? Well, God wants to make clear that the day of the Lord, it will not be the next thing that happens in God's time frame as far as they're concerned. They are to expect the day of the Lord, but they're to expect something else first. The final word of the Old Testament says that the next thing to expect on the divine calendar is the coming of Elijah the prophet. Now, the New Testament is really clear as to who this is. It's the same figure, if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, mentioned in in chapter 3 and verse 1. The one who will prepare the way for the Lord, uh, called John the Baptist. So Luke chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, the angel of the Lord comes and appears to Zechariah, John's soon-to-be father, and this is what the angel says. And he, John, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. It's very clear. And Jesus too, he affirms this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. He says, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So John's not Elijah exactly. He's not a reincarnation or or something like that. He is the prophet like Elijah. He comes with an Elijah-esque ministry preparing the way for the Lord Jesus, calling people to repentance. John would be a moral catalyst for the nation. He began a turning, a repentance of people, both to God and to each other. I think that's what the turning the hearts thing is. He prepared people for the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus would bring the forgiveness of sins that was on offer to all who would trust in him. This is how Malachi ends, and how the Jewish scriptures end, how the Old Testament ends. God says to those in Israel who fear his name, he says, as you wait for me to act, remember my law and expect my prophet. When you see him, you will know that I'm about to do wondrous things among you. And when you come to the New Testament and you open up the gospel accounts, what do you find? In each one, well, it begins with this prophet, John. He looks like Elijah. He calls people to repentance. 
just as the Lord had said through Malachi. As we draw to a close, what is all this saying to us then uh, today? Well, of course, we need to interpret it correctly. We need to recognize that we live now on the other side of this Elijah's coming. John the Baptist came to Israel. Uh, There was indeed something of a turning in repentance through his ministry. He really did prepare the way for the Lord Jesus to come, come after him. Jesus came with this good news that there's forgiveness through his death for repentant people. We live the other side of all of that. We have a different relationship now to God's law as Christians. Jesus Christ has fulfilled God's law. And we don't need to expect God's prophet now because he's already come, as Jesus did after him. That promise has come to pass. So how do we understand it for us? Well, our situation is similar in a sense, isn't it? There is another promise that's yet to be fulfilled in this passage, isn't there? We're still waiting for the day of the Lord. That should focus our attention. See, many people were saying then, it is pointless serving God. That we'd be better off just doing what we want. Of course, people still say that, don't they? God says that that's not true. He says that those, say that, those who say that sort of thing, you need to be warned. A severe day of judgment is coming from which there will be no escape. We cannot say it will be pointless serving God. It's not vain to serve him. The Lord says this to his faithful people, to those few, those who fear his name. He says, remember my word and expect my son. Wait for the day of Jesus' return. Then you will see that it's all worth it. Promise of verse 17 is said to us, just as it is said to those faithful few, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. That promise is for us too. As we remember God's word, as we stay faithful to him and as we expect his son to come again, We can be confident that our names are written in God's book and that when he comes, we will make up his treasured possession. It's not vain to serve the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we ask first of all for your forgiveness for when we have wavered in our faith. For when we have looked elsewhere and thought that perhaps we'd uh, made the wrong decision, where perhaps it wasn't worth following you, where perhaps our life would be better had we left you behind. Forgive us, we pray, for that attitude. And help us, Lord God, to cling to these words of Malachi, that we would know that as uh, those who cling to you, who trust in you, who are faithful to you, that you remember us, that you have written our names in your book, and that you will not forget. And we thank you too, Lord, that on the day, on the day of the Lord, when you, your son, the Lord Jesus, comes again to judge the world, we thank you that the distinction will be seen. And we look forward to the day when righteousness rises like the sun, when we can leap like calves from the stall, 
when everything that's wrong is fixed and when your righteousness rules in the earth. We look forward to that day. Help us to keep trusting you until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.